Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Psalm 6511 says that you have crowned this year with goodness. In fact, his word tells us that, that your path drips with abundance. You've crowned this year with goodness. Your path drips with abundance. Can I tell you something? If there is goodness in this year, then I'm getting goodness out of this year. Anybody else with me? Come on, let's just decide. And if God says it's good, then let's get the goodness out of it. Stay standing. I want to read to you our scripture today. We're in this series called Goliath Must Fall, talking about the giants in our life, specifically the giant of fear that holds us back from becoming all that God wants us to become. And of course, we are looking at the life of David. David is the OGK. He is the original giant killer in scripture. And so it's fitting for us in this series to look at his life and how he responded to not just the one giant that we're aware of, but all the giants that he faced in his life. So I'm gonna read you 1 Samuel 21, 8 through 15. I'm gonna give you the text and then I'll fill in the context a little later on. And here's what I'm believing. This is gonna be helpful for you today. I believe if you came expecting God to move, if you came with good soil in your heart for a seed to be planted, that God wants to move in and through your life. Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 21 says this, David asked Ahimelech, who is the priest, do you have a spear or a sword? He says, the king's business was so urgent that I did not have time to grab a weapon, which is a lie, by the way, and we're gonna talk about that. He says, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, the priest replied. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. And he says, give it to me. So now he has the sword of Goliath in his hand. And it says, David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath, which by the way, Achish actually just means king. This king's name was Abimelech. So we have Ahimelech the priest, and we have Abimelech who is this king of Gath, which is the, the Philistine king. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David? The king of the land, they asked, isn't he the one the people honor with their dancing and their singing, saying Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Verse 12, David heard these comments and was very afraid. Everybody say very afraid. He was afraid of what the king Achish of Gath might do to him. So check this out. He pretended to be insane scratching on doors, drooling down his beard. Uh, one translation says that he was banging his head on the gate. He's scratching at the walls. He has saliva running down, dripping down his beard. He's foaming at the mouth. Finally, King Achish said to him, must you bring me a madman? Like we already have enough of them around here. He says, I got enough crazy people in my life. Any parents feel that way today? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. I got enough crazies. He says, why should I let someone like this be my guest? God, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you would comfort us, but also confront us. We pray, God, that your word would be true, that it, it would not return void, that it would accomplish all that you've, you've called it to accomplish and, and sent it out to accomplish to do today. God, we don't need another uh, experience, another religious experience. We need to be uh, uh, touched by heaven today and have your presence felt in our lives, God. And we just pray 
that this word would not return void, that it would take root in our heart and in our soul. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You can have a seat. Hey, how many of you know that there is a good kind of fear? You know that? There's, there's a good kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that keeps you from walking down dark alleys in the middle of the night. It's the kind of fear that gives you the sense of, hey, you might not want to do that thing. You might not want to jump off the roof of your two-story house into your four-foot-deep, you know, above-ground pool, head first. Right? That's a, that's a good kind of fear that maybe keeps us from doing things, but there's also a bad kind of fear. A negative kind of fear. It's a kind of fear that keeps you from diving headfirst into all that God has for you. It's a kind of fear that keeps you from taking steps of faith. It's a kind of fear that perhaps could keep you from entering into a relationship that will benefit you. And it's also the kind of fear that keeps you from exiting a relationship that you know is not good for you. One that's not healthy for you in your your life. It's that kind of fear. It's not the the good kind. There's a, a bad kind of fear. And that kind of fear is a learned fear. In fact, you you don't have to be around a baby or toddler very long to know that they're not born with fear. They got no fears. In fact, I only think they're born with like two fears. One is like the fear of falling. You know, they have that that reflex. But they're not, they are fearless. I have a three-year-old who is fearless. Like his name is Gray and he will climb up on the kitchen counter about this, this high right here and just jump off. He's crazy. He's three years old. He'll just jump off because he's not born with that that fear. Most fears are learned. And many of us learn fears because of the model that we had growing up. Some of you grew up in a home of fear. That's what was modeled for you. It was modeled for you by your your parents where, where it was always like, be careful. Don't do that. You know, watch out for that. You know, that's gonna kill you. You don't do that. And because you grew up that way, then that's kind of the way that that you live your life. My wife, Kristen, and I, we talk about this all the time. We have this conversation because um, I'm the one who's always, you know, afraid for my boys. Like, don't do that. You know, don't swing too high. I'm always telling them, don't swing too high. I can't watch. You know, that kind of thing. Like, uh, you're going to kill yourself. I have this fear. And I don't like that about me, by the way. Like, I don't want to instill in them a spirit of fear. I want to have them, you know, feel boldness in their, their life, but the reason I do is because a lot of that was modeled for me growing up and because I know all the stupid stuff I did growing up and it's only by the grace of God that I'm alive, right? But fear is a learned behavior. You have learned fear. Some of you couldn't go on the playground because the slide was too hot or some of you weren't allowed to go out into the woods because a tick might get on you and bite you and it might have Lyme disease. And while that is very true, all that could happen, you can't live your life uh, insulating yourself from all that could happen. Are you with me? So some of us picked up those fears because they're learned. Some of you picked up fears because of an experience that happened in your life, some traumatic event, some traumatic moment, some painful uh, experience in your life, a difficult situation caused you to carry this fear with you that something like that would happen again. And so no longer are you willing to maybe enter into a relationship or, or trust again or expose your heart again because you never want to be put in that position. You never want to experience that, that kind of, of fear. So you live with a little bit of fear in your life. Today, I feel like I'm just on assignment and that God wants us to help us break the spirit of fear off of our lives. That no more should we be living in fear 
but live in the freedom that he has for us. Because if you don't face your fear, guess what? Your fear will follow you. It's following David in this text. In fact, right now, turn to your neighbor and ask him, what's that following you? Go ahead, let's play along. What's that following you? And let him know it looks a little like fear. It looks like fear is following you. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't fear anything or I don't fear. I don't want you to tune this out. Because to some degree, every single one of us in this room have fear. You might not have a debilitating fear that keeps you from functioning day to day, but you live with fear. Every single one of us. In fact, we talked about a few of them last week. If you were here, if not, I encourage you to go back. And listen to the podcast, we talked about fear of rejection. Maybe that's what you're living with. Maybe it's fear of the unknown. Maybe it's a fear of loss that you're living with. Maybe it's a fear of, of man. I don't know what it is, but all of us deal with fear to a degree in our life. And when we wrestle with fear, when we hold on to fear, it keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. I'll say it like this. Fear is like a weight on your life. It's like a heaviness. It's like this burden that you, you carry, and if you live with it and you carry it, you'll begin to make decisions out of that fear. You'll make decisions on relationships based on fear. You'll make decisions on your finances based on the fear that you carry, and you will sense God calling you to do greater things, but because the fear that grips you, you don't step out in faith because of, of fear. Fear works like a virus, not the coronavirus, but it works like a virus. It will infect your joy. It will infect your, your peace, right? Fear is debilitating. It will consume the bandwidth of your mind and of your heart, fear. And I know some of you, again, you might be like, I, well, I don't fear anyone. I don't fear anything. Well, then why then at family gatherings are you still not willing to, to talk about anything other than surface level issues like the weather and sports and work and all that because you're afraid of digging deep and talking about meaningful things? Like it keeps you from having hard conversations just because the fear of man or, or the fear of failure causes some of you to work 18-hour days, working on things, trying to be successful, sacrificing what really matters most, your family, to be successful in something that doesn't matter at all. Right? It's that, the fear of failure that drives that. Some of you students, you're killing yourself already in school. We've just kind of started, and you're already studying you know, extra hours, trying to get 0.01% higher on your GPA because of this fear of failure that you carry. You're so gripped with fear. And sure, everyone's applauding you, saying, hey, great grades, good job. Or maybe in the workplace, oh, look at that, another promotion. But what they don't know is on the inside, you are gripped with fear. The fear of failure, the fear of, of not succeeding, you're killing yourself with fear. And I just need to remind someone today that while fear is heavy, Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That there is a lightness to the life that God has called you to live. Did you know that? He's not called you to, to live and be burdened with fear. And you cannot live lightly if you carry fear because fear is heavy. And some of you look great on the outside, you look like you're doing well, but on the inside you are filled with fear. And if you let it, fear will drive you into a corner of isolation. Fear will drive you away from the abundance that God has called you to live in, and it will cause you to make terrible decisions. That's where David is when we find him in this text. He's afraid. It says very afraid. So right away, that's strange, right? 
Because this is the guy, after all, who killed lions, who killed bears, who, who grabbed animals by their jaw and clubbed them to death. That David is afraid. The guy who killed Goliath, the nine-foot, nine-inch giant. Now we find he is gripped with fear, and he is literally scared out of his right mind. In fact, what's happening in this text is that the current king of Israel, Saul, remember David has been anointed as king, but he's not yet been appointed as king because all of that happens in God's timing. Uh, just because there is a delay in your calling doesn't mean there's a denial in your calling. That's a word for somebody today. Like, why rush? You need to slow down and just accept the process that God has you on. So David is in the process of waiting to become king. And Saul, the current king, hates him, wants to kill him. In fact, Saul has a spirit of fear. Saul has a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of envy on his life. He's already tried to kill David twice. By this time, tried to throw a spear at him and, and pin him to the wall, the Bible says. But Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. And he tells David, hey, my dad's coming after you. And he wants to kill you. And he's bringing everything that he has against you. And so you better flee. And so David goes to Ahimelech, the priest, and he says this. I've had to leave urgently because I'm on the king's business. Again, that's a lie. The reason he had to leave urgently, right, is to save his rear end. He was scared. He was running for his life. In fact, aren't you glad that God uses people that aren't perfect Aren't you glad that, that he uses liars, he uses cheats, he uses adulterers and murderers, all that, that David was? Like, I, I take comfort in that. And so David goes to Ahimelech, says, I'm on urgent business. I had to leave so fast that I couldn't grab a spear or a sword. Do you have anything here? And the priest says, no, but the only thing that I have is the sword that you stashed here after you killed Goliath. Because if some of you remember the story, yes, David did do the, the sling and the stone thing, and, and, he, and he let the stone fly, and it hit Goliath in the head, and it dropped him. But after it dropped him, he took Goliath's own sword and cut off his head. And he must have taken that sword and stashed it with the priest Ahimelech. And so when the priest you know, said, all I have is the sword, look how David changes. He says that, oh, that's the one. That one will do. In fact, he says, Give me that one. I love that. Give it to me. In fact, here's why it's critical that you face your Goliath. Because how many of you know there's always going to be another giant to face? Like if you've lived life long enough, I wish I could tell you that once you, you defeated that giant, that that was the end of it. But there's always going to be another battle. There's always going to be another fight. In fact, write this down. The current battle that you are in will become the confidence that you need for a future fight. The current giant that you're, you're facing, that, that don't you dare give up on the battle that you're in right now. Because that battle that you're in, when you win it, when you have victory in it, that victory becomes the, 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 the confidence that you need for the, the fight that you have not yet to face. And so I would say, first of all, if you're going to overcome this fear that overwhelms you, you got to have the ability to look back over the way God has been faithful and rehearse God's faithfulness in your life. Remember when you were afraid that God wasn't going to come through and, and you were afraid to take on that, that new job, but how God came through? Well, what makes you think that if he did it before, he won't do it again? Remember when you were afraid and you were fearful when that person left you? 
and you said you'll never find someone else and your heart's always going to be broken and then it's shattered and you don't know how you're ever going to pick up the pieces, but you remember how God's promise stood and he was close to the brokenhearted and he helped you restore your heart again. Well, what makes you think because he let it, you know, he was faithful in the past, he won't be faithful in your future. Remember when you lacked provision and the giant you had to kill was the lack of provision and he allows you to pick up a sling and a stone and knock that giant down? Well, what makes you think if he did it before, he won't do it again? It's not just a nice song we sing. Are you with me? Like you can't just know it here. You have to experience it. That God is, is faithful. And so you have to rehearse the faithfulness of God in your life because he never changes. He never gives up. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you got to look back over the past battles of your life and go, I might be afraid now, but God who delivered me in my past is going to deliver me in my present. And so you need to rehearse the faithfulness of God. The sword of Goliath, it was a reminder for David. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember now. Give me that sword. He was running in fear, and he had the sword. And remember God's faithfulness. I need to tell somebody today, you better go back and grab that sword that you killed your past giant with so you can remember the faithfulness of God in your life. Like, don't forget. Don't you dare forget how God's been faithful. However, what's interesting to me, and this is one of the reasons, again, why I love the Bible, and I believe every word of the Bible is accurate. I believe 100% of it is in the inspired word of God. I believe it from the front cover to the maps in the back. I believe the maps are the inspired word of God. All right, just throw that in there. Because God, right, he doesn't paint this, this picture that we all have to be perfect, that we all have to be these, these great role models and examples because David, in this moment, you can hear it in his voice, right? Ahimelech says, there's no other sword. And David goes, oh, that one will do. Give it to me, you know, give me the sword. And so he was afraid of Saul, and he was on the run, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, I remember. Give me that thing. And you know that sword that he had to have was massive. It was a sword that was made for a giant who was nine feet, nine inches tall, right? And, and you need to have the, the appropriately sized sword for your body size. You have to have the right ratio for your size and build. And so David has this giant sword, and he goes to Gath which is the home of the Philistines, the Philistines that he's defeated, the Philistines that he's known for defeating, the Philistines that people are singing, he's killed tens of thousands. And I don't want you to miss this in one moment. David is fearless with the sword of Goliath. And like that becomes faith-filled, and now he's drooling down his beard. How is that? How does that, how does that even happen he's now banging his head on a gate he's he's drooling he's acting like a madman did you know that it's possible for you to have the the goodness of God and the memory of the goodness of God in one hand and still be afraid here's what I think a lot of us feel like well if I'm afraid then I don't have faith and that's just not true in fact actually what it means is that that you have faith you just have faith in the wrong thing you have a misplaced faith. What do you mean, Colby? Well, whenever we're afraid, what we're doing is we're placing our faith and we're placing our confidence in the fact that whatever bad thing could happen will happen. We're placing our, our faith in the, the worst possible case scenario. And so when fear grips our heart, when fear grips us, we begin to make irrational decisions like David. David made an irrational decision. 
in fear. He was willing to be stripped of his dignity. He was willing to act like a madman, a, a crazy man in front of his captors, in front of the people he had already defeated because he was very afraid. And we do the same thing. When you get very afraid, you might not be drooling down your beard. Some of you might be, I don't know. But we make dumb decisions. We make crazy decisions based on fear. When you're, when you're afraid of losing something, you know what your decisions are? Usually you try to hold onto it tighter. You grip it tighter. You, you try to undermine it. You try to manipulate it. When you try to hold on to something tighter, it typically just pushes people further away. So now you're trying to hold on tighter, and they're pulling further away. You try to pull them in, and they're, they're getting pushed further and further away because you're afraid of, of losing something. When you have the fear of the unknown, you'll make irrational decisions. Even if you decide that, that you're going to take a step and a risk and go out into the, the deeper waters, you do so with such hesitancy and such timidity that you don't experience the fullness and the abundance that God has for you. You don't get everything he wants for you. Like, like in what areas, Colby, for, for example, how about this? How about small groups? Well, I tried small groups. It's a fear of the unknown. I, I don't want to keep going to small groups. Colby, I tried small groups for two weeks now, and I got nothing out of it. Please tell me something you can do two times and have the results and the growth and development in your life that you want to have. Please tell me that. But some people are so afraid of the unknown that they'll refuse to make that, that decision. They would rather sit back and ignore it. Well, Kobe, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know. The people might be weird. It's a strange home. It's a strange environment. It might smell strange. It might smell like pierogies and asparagus. And I don't know if I want to go into somebody's house, right? And so the fear of the unknown keeps you from making that decision. Or what about tithing? Uh-oh. The fear of the unknown. Well, I don't know if I trust God with this, what's going to happen? Besides, Colby, I worked hard for this, which can I just tell you that you only have the ability to work by the grace of God? That he's given you that? And the way that you demonstrate that God is priority in your life is by giving him your first and your best and saying, God, I'm going to honor you first, but we're so afraid of the unknown that we'll make a decision not to receive the blessing of God because that's what God's word says. Trust me in this. And see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven, but we'll, we will we'll refuse to do it. And I'm not, this is not a plea, oh, he just wants us to tithe to the church. Stop it. I'm not that guy. Tithe somewhere. Don't do it here. Find a house that you can, can, can pour into, a, a church that you, you know is filled with integrity, a church. I think this is a great one. I think we get to do some great things and help plant life-giving churches all over the U.S. and around the world. But you got to find some place. This is not a push for you to tithe. I'm just saying the fear of the unknown will cause us to make irrational decisions. Or, or what about getting free from addiction? I've heard people tell me, Coley, I tried that. I tried to move on. Can I tell you something? You don't break addiction by trying. You break addiction by training and working hard for it. And you will never get everything out of something that you are unwilling to put everything into. Like, that's not the way that it works, but because of the fear of unknown or the fear of man. Proverbs 29 tells us that the fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God leads to life. Well, Colby, I don't fear any man. I know that's some of your posture and position. I don't fear no man. Well, then tell me why it is that whenever that number shows up on your caller ID that you refuse to pick up. That's the fear of man. The fear of rejection. Are you kidding me? 
We'll make terrible decisions. We'll, we'll, we'll make decisions that cause us to forfeit our integrity and our character, all in the name of, of searching for acceptance because we're so afraid of rejection. And you can say all day long, right, that I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think about me. In fact, that's just so dumb because just by saying you don't care what people think about you is an indication that you care what people think about you. Are you with me? I was talking to a guy last week, and I don't even know what we were talking about, but all of a sudden he said, I don't care what people think about me. I think we were talking about beef jerky or M&Ms. Like, where did that come from? Of course you do. Like, don't try to act so hard. Of course we care what people think, and we should. Like, I care what my wife thinks about me. I better. I care what my kids think. I care what my church thinks about me. Here's the key. I don't care too much. Because if I cared too much, then I would operate from a place of what would make you happy instead of a place of what would make God happy. And so I don't care too much. But because of the fear of, of, of rejection, man, we'll, we'll make decisions based on that fear or relational decisions out of fear. Some of you are with a guy that you know you should not be with, that's pushing you to do things that you know is not honoring to God. But because of fear of being alone or for the need of acceptance or having affirmation, or you'll take a job that ruins your family because of the hours that it requires because you fear being a failure. We are driven by fear. And when we're driven by fear, we make dumb decisions. We are scratching at doors. We are banging our heads on gates. We are drooling down our, our beard, doing the same thing that David was doing. We have a sword in one hand, and we're drooling at the same time. How ridiculous do we look? Fear is a liar. And the enemy would love nothing more than for you to live in and exist in that fear. It's the work of the enemy to keep you locked up in a prison of fear. It's not what God wants for you. So the question is, how do we get out then? How do we release the grip of fear that's on our lives? Because if you read the text, if you read ahead, David goes from acting a fool to a few verses later leading 400 men. Like, how's that happen? How do you go from, from fear-filled, drooling beard man to all of a sudden valiant leader man? Well, I think we're going to discover it in his word, because write this down. There is a difference between exhibiting fear and existing in fear. Don't miss this. Fear was the irrational thing that David was doing. It's not who he was. The leader is who he was. For some of you, fear is the irrational thing that you are doing. But can I remind you, that's not who you are. God did not give you that spirit of fear. Who you are is who God says you are. And God put his hand on David. God anointed David as, as king, but he was exhibiting some behavior that did not line up with his anointing. Because his behavior, right, his behavior wasn't who he was. The anointing was, was who he was. And so that's how he could step in a few moments later and lead 400 men after acting like a madman because that's who God had anointed him to be. So how did he get that grip of fear off of him? How did he step into that calling of being valiant leader? I'm so glad that you asked. I'm glad you asked in the room. I'm glad you asked online because here it is. While David was acting insane in the membrane. He wrote Psalm 34. Flip to Psalm 34. In your Bible, in your, in your 
in your text there. It'll be up on the screen. And, and we don't know how long he was in captivity. We don't know um, uh, how many days. We, we don't know what was said. We do know that it said while David was in their presence, that's when he acted insane. So when they showed up, he would start scratching at the doors. When they showed up, he'd start banging his head against the gate. And then when they left, you know, he would stop. And then when they showed up again, he would start acting like a crazy madman again. And when they walked away, he'd, he'd stop. And somewhere during that time period, maybe in the middle of the night, maybe it was when they, when they walked away and left him there. Like, we don't really know. I don't know if he was in a jail cell or not. It says he was banging his head on a gate. I don't know where he was. But somewhere in that period of time, he wrote Psalm 34. And I want to show you three things out of Psalm 34 that, I, that helped David and I think will be a huge help to us. Psalm 34 verse 1 says this. Are you guys with me? Is everybody there? Everybody good? I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Another version says, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Listen to this. Glorify the Lord together. Come on, let's do this, all of us together. Let's exalt his name together. He says, my praise will always be, his praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. First thing, and this is something that you need to do every single time you start to feel the grip of fear in your life. Number one, speak about the Lord. Write that down. Speak about the Lord. Hashtag change the conversation. Change the dialogue. Flip the script. Notice I didn't say speak to the Lord. That's important. We're going to talk about that. But I said first you got to speak about the Lord. Why? Because this is what David was doing. He was starting to influence the internal dialogue that was happening in his mind. Because how many of you know if you will let it, if you allow it, Fear will influence the internal dialogue of your mind. Fear will start just telling you things and speaking to you. Uh, fear will take you down rabbit holes and, and take you to places that are dark that aren't even reality. But it's only based on fear. You'll start to spiral down and start to go down the what if trail. Well, what if this happens and what if, what if that happens? You begin to create the worst case scenarios. And David's saying you can't do that. We're, we're fear-filled. We have this internal dialogue in our mind, and David is saying, no, I refuse to think about the negativity. I, I refuse to think about all that's bad that's happening. I'm going to boast in something else, that God's praises will be on my lips. Do you know what it means to boast? It means to make much of something. It means to put it at the, the forefront of your life. So whenever you're gripped by fear, you got to change the conversation. you got to speak about the Lord, the Bible tells us that in the tongue, our words has the power to give life or take life. And so whenever you speak fear over your life, all you're doing is feeding that fear inside of your life. But when you start to speak faith over it, and the way the fear that doesn't, doesn't take up residence in your life but continues to pass through is that you flip the script. And you start to say, I'm not going to make much of this fear that's in front of me. I'm going to make much of God. The God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's worthy of my praise. I'm going to make much of him. And so instead of allowing the stormy sea or this, this giant to overwhelm you, the stormy sea to, to overwhelm you, you say, you know, no, 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 no. Like, like if he could calm the sea for the disciples, then he can do it for me. 
if he can make a way through the Red Sea for the Israelites, and he can make a way for me. If he could provide manna in the morning, every morning, provision for them, then he can provide for me. You gotta start to speak about the Lord and his goodness in your life. So I will not make much of this fear. I will make much of the Lord. Let me tell you something. We don't do this right now. In fact, most of the conversations I have with people, you know what the, the predominant thing is on their lips? It's fear. What's going to happen with this virus? What's going to happen with school? What's going to happen with the election? It's so bad. It's so bad. Everything is just so bad. It's, there's no good. Everybody's just, it's bad. It's never going to work out. I can't see anything. I can't see any, any hope. That's what I'm hearing mainly. I, I don't know how we'll ever get over this or get, get through this. I don't know if I'll, I'll ever be, be different. I don't know if things could ever change. I don't know if things will ever go back to normal, which I'm not sure we need them to go back to normal. But it's so much fear. I just want to say, stop it. Like, stop it. You don't have the last word in your story. God has the last word in your story. So you stop speaking that fear. When fear begins to grip your heart, you feel like you don't have any direction in your life, you speak fear. But David said, no, no, no. I got to flip that script. I got to speak about my God. My God is great. My God has plans for me, plans to to prosper me. I'm going to speak. I'm going to change the conversation. Why? Because fear wants to influence the internal dialogue of your mind. And David says, you can't let it do it. And then he said this in verse 3. I love this. He says, let's do this all together. Let's praise God together. Let us exalt the Lord together. You know what that means for some of you? You better make sure you are surrounding yourself with other people who will boast about the Lord. I promise you, you want to stay stuck in fear? Then you surround yourself with a tribe. You surround yourself with a crew that's nothing more than a pity party. That that group text is all just negative, negative, negative. I promise you, you will stay stuck in that fear. But you got to surround yourself with people Right, that will build your faith, not, not feed the fear that you already have. Let me give you the other two real quick. I want to move through these. After you speak about the Lord and change the conversation, then he said this, verse 4, I sought the Lord. Everybody say sought. And he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. And this is, this is how he went from drooling you know, down his beard, man, to leader, man. He said, I sought the Lord. I'll boast about him. Right, but then I sought him, and he delivered me from my fears. The second thing, write it down. You have to seek the Lord. Speak, now seek. Hashtag fix your focus. Hashtag turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, the fears of this world, will grow strangely dim. Why? Because it is an impossibility for you to run toward fear while you're running toward the Father. Hey, if you turn your face to God and you run to him instead of this fear that, that's, that's captured you, listen to what he says, verse 5. He says, those who will look at him, who turn their face to him, are radiant. Now their faces are no longer covered with shame. Don't miss the irony of this contrast, how, how things are already changing. Earlier, what? His face was covered with drool. And now he says, because I, I, I'm seeking the Lord, like my face is no longer covered with shame. What an incredible contrast. Verse 6, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Not only do I speak about the Lord, but i got to seek the Lord. So i got to run to him. 
whenever I'm scared to death, whenever I'm scared of this fear, whenever I don't know what to do, which, by the way, can I just encourage someone? God already knows the fear that you have. Like, he knows. But there's something powerful in confessing it to him. Because there's an assumption in your confessing it to God that he has the ability to do something about it. His ability has the power to do something about it. And so we run to him, say, God, I'm going to run to you in this. I'm not running to, to my friends. I'm not running to that group. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have a community of people. You should. I'm all for that. But not what you first do. So you first speak about the Lord, and then you seek the Lord. And then it says this, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Hey, right here, this is the good kind of fear. This isn't the, the bad kind of fear. This, is, this isn't the I'm so afraid of God, I'm terrified kind of fear. This is a holy fear, a, a, a fear, a reverence for God. This is, this is where you understand God's power, where you understand God's might, his strength. It says this in verse 8. I love this. Taste and see. Everybody say taste and see. That the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, because if you do, those who fear him, check this out, will lack nothing. Do you see that? If you fear him, then you'll, you'll lack nothing. If you approach God with this posture of, of holy reverence, if you live your life that way, knowing that he's in control, knowing that he is mighty, that he is greatness, you stand in awe of God, those who do that, they lack nothing. Because you have your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're seeking the Lord. Whenever the, the, the fears, the enemy wants you to live in and exist in, whatever it is for you, the fear of loss, fear of the unknown, fear of, of lack, you get to say, no, 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 I don't have time for that, devil. Like, my eyes are fixed on something else. I don't have time for that because I have sampled something else. I have tasted and I've seen the goodness of the Lord in my life. It was uh, two days ago, I went to Sam's Club because I was going to get a cheesecake for my wife's birthday. My wife's birthday was a couple days ago. Happy birthday to my wife. She's the most amazing, beautiful woman on the planet, both inside and out. And I know I'm making her extremely nervous right now. Um, but I have a holy fear of the Lord, and I have a holy fear of my wife. So I was going to get her the cheesecake that she wanted. And it has all these different uh, kinds in it. But I went to Sam's Club. And, and you know what I miss at Sam's Club? Samples. Like, please, Jesus, bring the samples back to Sam's Club. I mean, we love the samples. We would take our family. I would feed my entire family on samples every Saturday at Sam's Club. Like, we'd go in and get all samples. We'd go out to the car, change shirts, put on a hat. Just go back in, boys. Fill up. Don't come out of there hungry. But why do they give you samples? So you can taste and see that it's good. With the hopes that you'll taste and see that it's good enough for you to want to buy it. Here's what David said. David says, don't miss this, I have sampled God. I've tried God. I've tasted and I've seen when I was in hiding. 
I've tasted and I've seen when I fought the giant. I've tasted and I've seen when I felt alone. I've tasted and I've seen when everything was falling apart. He says, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. And he's my refuge and I lack nothing. I wonder if anybody can give praise to God who has tasted and seen the glory and the goodness of God in their life. Come on, let's give him praise. Because he's good. You just got to try it. He says, I've sampled it. We seek. We speak to, about the Lord. We seek the Lord. And then here's the last one is we sample the Lord. We taste and see. I would just tell some of you today, just try. When fear grips your heart, and you're so afraid to have that conversation because you don't know the outcome of it. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how things are going to turn out. God's word says, hey, taste and see. Just try God. Just, just have a sample and just see how, how he's good. When you're afraid of taking that step of faith, whatever it is for you, because you, you want to be successful and you don't, you don't see how you're going to be successful and you don't know how it's going to turn out, try God. Determine you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. That You're going to taste and see that God is good in your life. And we speak about God. Whenever fear starts to rise up, you speak about God. And I would say this, you speak the promises of God until you see the promises of God. You don't stop. There's power in your, your words. And then you seek God. You can't run after the Father and run after fear at the same time. And then you sample God. Whenever you're afraid, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you stand up in this room? Maybe if you're at home, maybe even just, just stand up. And I just, I want to pray over you this morning. If you just bow your heads. As we receive God's word today. Because again, I feel like I'm just on assignment to help break the spirit of fear off of our lives. It could be little fears. It could be big fears. But I believe as we speak about God, we change the internal dialogue in our mind today and determine we're not gonna let fear run my thoughts. I'm not gonna let fear send me to that, that deep, dark place that's not even reality. But I'm gonna switch the script and I'm gonna focus and I'm gonna speak about God, the goodness of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he is powerful, he is mighty to save, that he is a, a way maker when there is no way, that even when I'm faithless, he is faithful. So we're gonna speak about the goodness of God. We're gonna join with people and worship and the praises of God will always be on our lips. And then we're gonna seek God. We're gonna run to God. We're gonna run in faith to the Father, we're gonna taste and see that he is good. Take a step. Even when we're fear-filled of what that step might, might mean, God, we're gonna sample your goodness and we're gonna taste and see knowing that you are our refuge and you don't want us to lack anything. While we're praying right now in this room, we're online, there are some of you, you've never tasted and seen the goodness of God when it comes to being free from your sin. Because every single one of us, we are not without sin, we are sinners. The difference is between a follower of Jesus and you is that we've allowed Jesus to pay for the sins that we've committed. 
and the sins that we will commit because the Bible says when we confess Jesus as Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, all of them wiped out in an instant. That when God sees us, he will see the sacrifice of his son covering our sin and will bring us into a right relationship with him. Some of you know without a shadow of a doubt you are not in a right relationship with God. But maybe today is the day that you taste and that you see the goodness of God that wants to save you and set you free. I'm gonna invite you to do that. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And this is not about becoming a part of a church. We don't do that. But about becoming part of a family, the family of God. The Bible says as we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that right now. So wherever you are in this room, in the lobby, online, you can pray this prayer. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I repent. I ask forgiveness. I confess you as Lord and as Savior of my life. And from this moment on, I'm going to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.